Over the past couple of months, I've been uh, taking the men's Wednesday morning Bible study, and we've been looking at the seven Jewish feasts as described in Leviticus chapter 23. And I thought I'd just quickly run through those with you this evening, very briefly, um, and then go back to look at the Passover, because that is significant as far as sharing around the Lord's table is concerned. But one of the things I... You know, I wish I'd been born a Jew, uh, because... If I'd been born a Jew, I would understand the Old Testament inside out and upside down. Then, when I come to faith in Christ and apply him to all the Old Testament, wouldn't it be wonderful? But we can struggle through and learn something, I trust, about what the Old Testament uh, is talking about as far as the feasts are concerned and how Jesus is related to those feasts. I just want to mention a little bit about the calendar because it's rather strange, some of these names here. Nissan has nothing to do with the car manufacturer. It's one of the names of the first month of the year. But I want you to notice there are 12 months there, but sometimes there are 13 on the Jewish calendar because their numbers are not quite the same as ours and consequently they have to insert an extra month now and again. So there are two Adair months at the end, not just one, just so they get the calendar go round correctly. So we had a quarter of a day um, every year, so we, every four years we add an extra day, unless it's a century where we don't bother to add a day at all because it then makes it right. I'm full of useless information like this, so I'm always happy to share it with you. Um, what year is it, by the way? Now? No, not a trick question. I don't ask trick questions. What year is it? 2017 what? Not according to the new rules, it's CE, isn't it? The common era. And before that, it was BCE, before the common era. But it's still, they still actually, they didn't want, they want to take Christ out of it, but they still forgotten the fact the actual number of years relates back more or less to his birth, not quite, but more or less. And to me, the year of Christ's birth is the most important event in the whole of history. Because before it, there was nothing much of interest, but after it, we've got everything. You know, it is an important year. Do you know what year it is according to the Jewish calendar? Someone's trying to do some calculation there. Bad luck. Near enough, you're close. It's 5,777. When from, though? When from? Creation, yeah. Some people think it could have been from the, the formation of the Israel, nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt, but it is, they, they believe it is from creation. 5,777 years. And I virtually say I would agree with that 100%. The other thing to remember about the Jewish system is that their day starts at sundown. This is most important because sometimes we get very confused over things uh, when things happen. So at sundown today was the start of the Jewish day, and it will end at sundown tomorrow. Now, it's logical when you think about it, because we know when the sun goes down. Can you tell me when midnight is without a clock? No chance, right? The Jewish go from sundown to sundown. So when Jesus celebrated the feast with his disciples in the evening, the next day he was crucified, it was the same day on the Jewish system, all right? It's important to remember that because we sometimes get things a little bit wrong when we forget the Jewish day is different from our day. Having said that, we're going to look at these seven feasts as listed in Leviticus 23. 
And the first one is the Feast of Passover. Just going to quickly run through very sketchily these different feasts and what they stand for. It's to remember God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. When God passed over the land, the Egyptians were killed, every firstborn of the Egyptian family were killed, and the Israelites were spared because the doorposts of their houses were marked with the blood of a lamb which had been slain. When the angel of death passed over and saw that blood, he passed over them and they were safe. It takes place on the 14th day of Nisan. In other words, it's a feast which moves to different days of the week, rather like our Christmas. And most Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. It's one of, those, one of the three feasts where the Jews are normally expected to go to Jerusalem for their, their celebration. Each family would bring a spotless lamb to the temple for sacrifice. And this, these lambs reminded the Israelites of the lamb which was eaten on the night they were delivered from Egypt. The lamb also reminds Israelites of the blood price paid for their sin. And we know from Luke's Gospel that Jesus went up to the temple at the age of 12 to celebrate Passover with his family. It was a time when he was left behind and was discussing with the church officials. And I'm sure he celebrated Passover most years of his life. But the second time it's mentioned very clearly is when he wanted to celebrate the last Passover with his disciples. Later, when Jesus died on the cross, he died at the exact moment the Passover lambs were killed in the temple. And we'll look at this in a little more detail when we come to share around the table. The second feast took place one day later on the 15th of the month, Nisan, and it's to remember the escape from Egypt and God's provision of bread from the earth. One aspect of this feast is they ate unleavened bread. There wasn't time to put in yeast, and of course yeast in the Old Testament symbolises sin. And they ate bread which was not filled with yeast, therefore it was very flat, bread called mitzvah, and commanded the Israelites to eat only unleavened bread for seven days after the Passover as a reminder of their sudden deliverance from Egypt, when their bread literally had no time to rise. During his ministry, Jesus often described himself as the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then we come to the festival of the first fruits, which celebrates God's gift of a harvest. It took place after the weekly Sabbath, in the same time as the Passover. So the day after the weekly Sabbath is what day? Sunday. The first fruits, the celebration of first fruits took place on a Sunday when the first sheaf was waved before the Lord. They gave the sacrifices of their flocks, their earned money, their harvest, in recognition that God was the giver of all good things. People acknowledge God's ownership of the land by bringing seven fruits to the temple. One of those fruits include the pomegranates, a crop easily destroyed by bad weather. By giving these first fruits to God, the Israelites expressed their dependence on him and their trust that he would provide for their, the best of the harvest. The feast of the first fruits coincides with Jesus' resurrection. 
When Jesus' followers returned to the tomb on the morning of this celebration, they found it was open and empty. Jesus became the first fruits of those raised from the dead. We now jump a couple of months to move to the Festival of Weeks. It was a thanksgiving for the end harvest and anniversary of the receiving of the law. It took 50, pl- 50 days after the waving of the sheaf. And 50 days, another day for 50 days is... Point? Pentecost. Don't be shy, Ian. <laughs> Pentecost. You never want, brother. Joyful crowds gathered to bring their offerings of wheat to the temple and celebrated the good harvest that God had given. In Jewish tradition, true thankfulness to God was best shown by giving to others. So when the grain was harvested, the the corners of the fields were left standing to glean by the poor. The people also celebrated by the giving of the law at this time. This ritual paralleled Israel's history, which began with the deliverance of Egypt on Passover and concluded when they received the law. The Feast of Weeks coincides with Pentecost. Luke 24, 53 states that after Jesus ascended, his disciples remained in the temple every day to praise God. On this day, they were anointed by the Holy Spirit, and pilgrims from many countries heard the disciples speaking in their own language. We now move on a few months to the autumn months, the Feast of Trumpets. This is a time when the Israelites would prepare for God's judgment. The fir- it was the first of the autumn feasts which took place on the first day of the seventh month, which is Tishri. It celebrates the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of a new religious year. The people celebrated by attending religious services and considering God's sovereignty and his future day of judgment. The shofar, which was a ram's horn, was blown, a sound which reminded the Jewish people of their ancient past, God's great power, and their call for faithfulness in his coming judgment. Jesus, in keeping this tradition, described a coming judgment that will be announced by the blowing of a shofar. This is Matthew 24:31. He will send out his angel with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, you think about it, this is one feast which has yet not yet been fulfilled. It is still to come, as against all the other feasts which have been fulfilled. This represents the feast of the great ingathering of the believers who Jesus will receive up into heaven. Yom Kippur. I expect most of you have heard of this feast. Do you know why? The war. Israel is the Arab War, six-day war. It started on Yom Kippur because they thought the Israelites would be too, bollock, too busy celebrating the feast, and it took them a few days to regain the position, and they won that war. It's a day for the nation to seek forgiveness. God passed judgment of the people onto a scape, passed judgment of the people onto a scapegoat. It took place on the tenth day of Tishri. In preparation of Yom Kippur, people fasted as a form of self-denial, repentance and confession of sin before God. On the feast day, a priest entered the most holy place and God appeared in a cloud over the Ark of the Covenant. Blood from sacrificed animals was sprinkled on the most holy place. 
and the altar to atone for the sins of the priests. The high priest would then place his hands on the head of the scapegoat, symbolically transferring the sin of the people onto the goat. Consequently, the scapegoat was taken out into the wilderness to die, symbolising that God had forgiven the people's sin. The New Testament describes how the Day of Atonement applies to the death of Jesus. His blood, instead of the blood of the goat, now symbolises atonement. It's in Hebrews 9. The death of Jesus fulfilled the ancient role of the scapegoat. Through Jesus' death, sins are truly forgiven. And the last of these feasts is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is to remember when the Jewish people lived in the wilderness before entering Canaan. It's another one of the autumn feasts which took place on the 15th day of Tishri. God commanded booths to be constructed to remind the Israelites of their history of wilderness living. The Israelites ate their meals and prayed in those booths for seven days as a reminder of God's protective care. I'm really glad we don't do it here. I think it'd be a bit wet most of the time, but uh, Israel's quite a warm country, I think, so they're covered by that. The other name for the Feast of Tabernacles is Sukkoth, and this took place at the end of the dry season and was coupled with a water ceremony and a fervent prayer for next year's rains. And Solomon dedicated the temple during Sukkoth as a fitting tribute of God coming to live among his people. In the context of the tabernacles, Jesus dramatically presented his message. On the last and great day of the feast, in the midst of the water ceremony and prayers to God to send water which will ensure a good harvest, Jesus proclaimed, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Some scholars also believe that Jesus was born around this festival, which will be a fitting pitch of our Lord leaving the glories of heaven and tabernacling among his people. So then, friends, that is just very briefly the seven festivals celebrated in the Old Testament. Jesus is involved in every one of those. One is still yet to be fulfilled. The others um, have been fulfilled by him. A little later on, after we've had another few hymns, we're going to come to the Lord's table and look a little more detail at the Passover feast and look at it in relationship to the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist as it's known. So, wherever the band is, please. We need to remember that our celebration was part of a larger celebration which our Lord led with his disciples on that last night before he was crucified. And we know from Luke's account there were at least two glasses of wine drunk on that occasion. So I think it's highly probable that Jesus ate the traditional Seder meal, as it's called, where four glasses of wine were drunk, amongst other uh, items of herbs and lamb and also bread. The four cups of wine portion of the feast begins. The leader would say, as we read through the Haggadah, we will drink the cup of the fruit of the vine four times. 
These cups stands for the four I wills, as recorded in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. And this is what it says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the four cups have been given names. The first cup is the cup of sanctification based on God's statement, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The second cup is known as the cup of judgment or deliverance based on I will deliver you from slavery to them. The third cup, the cup of redemption, is based on God's word, I redeem you with an outstretched arm. And last of all, the cup of praise or restoration or acceptance, based on God's word, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Our Lord drank the first cup and then announced to the disciples he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The second cup, the cup of judgment, is this not the cup that Jesus prayed about on the Mount of Olives, that his Father remove it from him? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus figuratively drank this cup right down to the last drop in all the pain and suffering he experienced on the cross of Calvary when he poured out his life's blood for the sins of the whole world. The Passover meal then continues with eating the bread of affliction. Normally the host would recite the words, This is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let those who are hungry come and eat. But Jesus changed those words. He said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do now, friends. We're going to pass the bread around, and if you love the Lord, you're invited to eat the bread. There's no restriction. If you lo- the only restriction is you love the Lord and seek to follow him, and know that through his sacrifice, you are right with God. If that is your situation, please join with us in eating this bread. Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to his friends. Take and eat. Following this, there came the drinking of the third cup, the cup of redemption, which was passed around the disciples. Normally the host of the meal would say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who makes the fruit of the vine. But Jesus changed those words to, this, is called, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. <clears throat> At this point, in, according to Matthew, they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. They did not complete the Passover meal by drinking the fourth cup, the cup of restoration, sometimes referred to as the cup of acceptance. And then we have the death of Jesus recorded in John chapter 19, verses 29 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and then in parentheses, John writes to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? I think there are a number of explanations here. Obviously, the most important is that Jesus' redemptive work had been completed. But I think there's some other things we look at here. I mean, why did John put in that parenthesis to fulfil scripture? When he said, I thirst, and he was given the sour wine, I'm sure it's relating to the scripture in Psalm 69, verse 21, which says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. I suppose secondly we could say, because it was mentioned it's about to fulfil the scripture, Jesus when he died had fulfilled all the scriptures relating to his life and death up to that point. So he fulfilled the scriptures. But there's another thought, and this is a thought that came to me, I don't know if it's um, a load of hooey or what, but this is a thought, could this be he was actually drinking the cup of acceptance? That He said, knowing that all was now finished, and whether that, that sip of soured wine was him taking the cup of acceptance because what he had accomplished on the cross was acceptable to the Father and therefore we were redeemed totally. I don't know. I'll just leave that float in the air for you to think about. But now we have the chance to drink the cup of acceptance because we have been accepted because of what Christ has accomplished for us at Calvary. And we will retain the cup and drink together as a symbol of our unity in Christ. Good that we have been able to come this evening and share in this very simple but profound feast. A feast that speaks so much to us of our salvation because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Every part of it, the bread and the wine, speak of his sacrifice on Calvary. And we bless you that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come down into tabernacle amongst us and live a perfect sinless life. No leaven touched his life at all, no sin. And because of that, his sacrifice was acceptable to you. We thank you that he bore all the, the pain and suffering because of your love for us. And we thank you that he is now in heaven, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, and taking of our very imperfect prayers and singing of hymns and anything else we do today, perfects them before the throne of grace because we cannot be perfect yet, but we look forward to that day when we will be with him in heaven for all eternity. We bless you, O oh God, for your love to us, for your grace and your mercy, and particularly for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you in his precious name. Amen. <laughs>